Earlier this week, I was coming home from a movie. It was about 3.15 in the afternoon. As you may know, I live at the rectory at St. Austin's. And as you may also know, St. Austin's school, right behind the church on San Antonio Street, lets out at about 3 o'clock, which means that dozens and dozens of parents are arriving at precisely 3.15 to pick up their kids. So for 10 minutes, I sat in the line of cars snaking down San Antonio Street within sight of my parking space with about a dozen cars between me and my destination. I was finally only about eight feet away and one car was still blocking my space. And I was about to step out of my car and ask them to just pull forward eight feet so I could get in when an enormous pickup truck came zooming past through the narrow space and nearly ran me over. I was furious. Now, I am well aware that church parking lots are never a hotbed of Christian charity. (laughs) But this was just too much. In my head, I was composing phrases using the sort of words that most people reserve for golfing or root canal surgery. Before I could speak any of these colorful phrases, I struggled to remember the words of a wise spiritual director who once told me, you are not stuck in traffic, you are the traffic. I'm not some privileged VIP being inconvenienced by all these other awful people. In the end, we're all just trying to get home. I think that's part of the message of today's wisdom reading. God has mercy on all of us. God loves everything that he's made, and God rebukes us sinners little by little, giving us ample opportunities to repent and mend our ways. God's mercy is for everyone, not just the people who agree with me or believe the way I do or drive the way I do or who look like me. God's mercy isn't just for the good, the repentant, or the converted. It is for everyone, even for the woman who didn't notice she was blocking my space and for the guy driving that enormous truck. In an age in which we demonize, shame, and cancel people, people we may not even actually know, for all kinds of offenses, real or imagined, It's not surprising that we don't seem most days to believe in mercy. We seem to be keeping ever-growing lists of unforgivable sins, intolerable opinions, and offenses for which we have personal and collective zero-tolerance policies. It's no wonder that we've lost the ability to engage in dialogue. Imagine a bit of dialogue between Jesus and Zacchaeus, the chief tax collector. Tax collectors in those days were extortionists. Anything that they could get above and beyond the taxes, they would keep. They were also traitors who worked for the Roman occupying forces. And so they were hated. Imagine this meeting as Jesus looks up to see this little villain who's climbed a tree to be able to see him. 
And what follows isn't a come-to-Jesus talk where the Lord, Lord points out all the sins and weaknesses of this bad guy and calls him to ridicule and shame. Instead, this is a Jesus-comes-to-you talk where the Lord invites himself over for dinner without asking for any upfront signs of repentance or commitment to change. This is how God's mercy is expressed and made real in the world. Not when we're ready to accept someone who's already seen the light and had a conversion of heart. Instead, God's mercy is manifested when we put down our weapons, drop our self-righteousness, swallow our pride, and simply be with someone who's different, someone who's struggling, or someone with whom we disagree. This is precisely what Pope Francis means when he reminds us that the mission of evangelization begins with accompaniment, our stepping out of our comfort, privilege, and security to engage someone on a genuinely human level. We go out to accompany them. We don't demand that they accompany us. People complained that Jesus was staying at the house of a sinner. And we should not be surprised when people complain that we are not hanging with the right sort of people. So how concretely do you accompany people and let them experience God's mercy? When someone's asking for a handout on the street, don't just hand them something. Ask their name and introduce yourself for a little bit of human dignity in the interaction. Stop arguing about politics on social media. It doesn't work. And the algorithms don't promote dialogue or the exchange of ideas. Instead, when someone disagrees with you or has a political opinion different from yours, take them out for a coffee or a beer and listen to them without trying to change them or to score points. When someone you know is caught in a web of sinful or exploitive behavior, instead of calling them out or shaming them, ask them privately if they need help and how you might help. And if you are the one who is stuck in a cycle of sin and shame, ask for the help and accompaniment that you need and be ready to offer the same to someone else. That's the foundation of every 12-step program. At the end of this gospel, Jesus says, The Son of Man has come to seek and to save what was lost. That is a great mission statement. If we're trying to be his disciples, we should never be content to let anyone remain lost. Our willingness to be vulnerable and to show God's love and mercy to the homeless, to refugees, to sinners, to our political opponents, to the ones who have wounded us, to everyone. That's how we share our faith. When people experience God's mercy, their hearts can change, and they may turn away from sin and injustice. But that's the work of the Holy Spirit. It's not our goal. Our goal is to accompany people with God's love and mercy. Authentic friendship doesn't have an agenda, and mercy isn't a prod to move people. 
Mercy lifts people's burdens. It doesn't give them new ones. In our hyper-competitive, increasingly tribal culture, it's more important than ever to love people where they are because God loves them as they are. In the end, we're all just trying to get home. And that's reason enough to be merciful to each other.